Srila Prabhupada Ki Jai. So we're continuing our discussion on Maya. I was just this morning discussing with a devotee. One one major way Maya attacks, especially our movement, is through argument. And there's there's so many letters from Prabhupada's asking us to cooperate and you know, saying things like, if we don't cooperate, the movement won't go on, and we should have love and trust, and a devotee is humble and understanding and kind. All kinds of great qualities, right? That we need. One second. So... As we all well know, this is the age of Kali, and it's all around us. We see it at every moment, and Kali means disagreement. And if you look at the political field, the dichotomies in the political field, the strong emotions, it's it's symptomatic of Kali Yuga. And you look at the, the same situation exists within the religious field, and the same situation exists within the same religion or within sects of the same religion. Excuse me. I may have to be going in and out if um, I'm coughing up mucus, so please excuse me. Maybe it'll make the class more exciting. Actually, you can celebrate because I'm getting better, and one sign of getting better is the mucus comes up. So it's actually a good sign. So this is such a huge challenge, and this is such an excellent way for Maya to attack, causing devotees to disagree. And, you know, what's difficult about it is when we see something and we think we understand it correctly and we discuss it with others who also understand it in similar ways and become more convinced that we understand it, what does that mean? The way I see it, and there's conclusions that one could make if someone doesn't understand it. Well, as Krishna consciousness, as they're not as Krishna conscious as I am. They're not as learned as I am. They're not as whatever as I am. As cultured, as experienced, whatever. And deficient in some way, and that deficiency is causing them to not be able to understand things the way I understand which, of course, puts me in a superior position, which is generally not the way we as Vaishnavas think, although we may believe we have the Siddhanta, the correct understanding, and we might have the correct understanding, but these are consequences that often follow understanding when there are controversies within our movement and we can see the obvious consequences. I think it, it also can get that means put on steroids, basically. Strengthened 
taken to the next level. If you align with senior devotees who have certain beliefs, although other senior devotees have other different beliefs, different understanding beliefs, understandings, and then, well, so and so, Maharaj, he's outspoken about this, so therefore it must be correct. And I respect him. And so there may be a tendency to disrespect those who don't align with that Maharaj. And worse, sometimes that Maharaj may malign those who don't agree with him. And you've heard that. And then that may cause some kind of operat in your heart. So you can see there's this whole sequence that can follow uh, disagreements if we're not careful, frustration, I don't want to talk about it anymore, it's useless, I give up, uh, Hare Krishna, you know. So it's really an excellent tool of maya. And I was speaking to one of my godbrothers about something, not a major controversy, but about something that probably not everyone would agree on, which... There's probably many things not everyone's going to agree it's one way or the other, or exactly the way that we see it, I see it, or you see it. <clears throat> I said, what do you think about this particular situation that I see in, in, in ISKCON? What do you think about this? And he said, I realize that I, I can't change the world. In other words, he meant I realize that I can't change ISKCON. So I don't really try, and I try to do what I understand to be right without trying to change or criticize anyone who I think is not doing what I think is right, which is quite a safe position. And I, I think that is um, naturally the best we can do. Okay, then maybe there's some controversy. Is it this way? Is it that way? You hear, you study, you discuss. You understand, you understand it as best you can. And then you try to live what you understand without condemning others who maybe understand it differently. Everybody's trying to understand Shastra and everybody's trying to understand Prabhupada as best they can. And naturally in doing that, we may disagree. Of course... Some of you may say, well, it's easy for me because I just follow what my guru says. And that, that is true. But as I mentioned, the problem is another guru may not believe that, and then there's a conflict. And indirectly, that other guru may be criticizing your guru because your guru doesn't believe like that guru. So these, these are like all what I call spaces. Yeah, that's what you call it. Maybe we should call this class Spaces Where Maya Can Enter. That's it. That's a good idea. I like that. I'm going to write that down. That's such a good idea. If I don't write it down, I will forget it. The only other problem is when I, I read these statements like two weeks from now, I'm like, well, I, I don't always remember what I was talking about. Spaces Where Maya Can Enter. So... What I mean by this is scenarios where something happens a certain way or something falls in a certain direction, events transpire in a certain way, 
have you ever been in a situation like that and you look at that and you say, if I go in this direction, this is going to waste a lot of time. If I go in this direction, I'm going to offend somebody. If I go in this direction, I'm going to get really angry and I may say the wrong thing. Have you ever been in a situation like that? And you, you use your intelligence and you say, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going there. We're having a cold spell here in Alachua. Cold, I don't know what you consider cold. It's about 52, no, 55, which is about... I don't know, 12 degrees or something. That's cold for us now, this time of year. I think this is really valuable. We were talking about this before in other ways, like we say, I don't trust myself, so I'm not going to go there to such and such a place or do such and such a thing because I know I have this attraction or addiction and if I do this, it will lead to X, Y, and Z. So I'm not going to do it. So this is another way of saying that, but in a different scenario. And you see something's going on. There's, you know, Someone will write me a letter and say, what do you think about this? And sometimes I'll think, I don't have time to think about it because um, it doesn't matter. Ultimately, what I think about it it's not going to change anything in ISKCON. And I already know what I think about it, so I act according to what I think. I explain to other devotees according to what I understand. And to get involved in a controversy would be very time-consuming. And, and sometimes time um, energy-draining, not just time-consuming, but energy-draining, because... As you know, sometimes if you hear the view of someone you really disagree with and you think the person is being like ultra, <coughs> excuse me, ultra, ultra crazy liberal or ultra, ultra crazy conservative, it can, make, it, it can anger you. You could become like, oh, I hate that. How could they say that? That's so bad. I hate being part of ISKCON when people say these things. You could feel like that, and which borders on offense or subtly already is an offense. So sometimes we have to see these spaces and just say, no, that's a space where Maya could really enter. I'm not going there. Protect yourself. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty 12.77. Yeah, it's 12.778 degrees Celsius outside right now. And it's supposed to be like about 23 or 24 right now. Celsius. That's normal this time of year. Oh, well, that's why. If you're wondering why I look like this, that's why I look like this. So, if we can be aware of those spaces where if I enter, it either will upset me, I may cause, uh, I may end up making an offense to a devotee, I may end up utilizing a lot of time and energy that is not productive. It, it won't result in anything. Be careful. It may result in, in you studying something to clarify it for yourself, but sometimes some of us have a nature that when we clarify something for ourselves, we, we want to attack the people who don't agree with us or we want to criticize the people who don't agree with us. 
We want to minimize the people who don't agree with us. Oh, those people, how can they think like this? I, I don't understand. They're supposed to be advanced devotees, and they think like this. It's so clear. Prabhupada said this. How could they say that? And sometimes you don't even know why they're saying what they're saying. You haven't researched it, which can even upset you more because it doesn't make any sense to you. If you researched it more, you probably see there's more logic to it than you think. So it's it's especially dangerous when you disagree with someone and you don't even know where they're coming from. You just hear their conclusions. So, ah, uh, spaces. Watch out for what did I say? Spaces where Maya can enter. If we can be aware of that, ah, uh, sometimes this happens also to speakers in classes that they're. A question is asked, which can be bait. And sometimes I've seen speakers take the bait and publicly criticize. Not by name, but everybody knows who they're talking about. It, it's, that was a space for Maya. Uh, some things should not be spoken about publicly because it can, it can cause offenses indirectly, publicly, and so it's just, it just any way that there can be more dissension within our organization that, that Maya will obviously try, and wherever there's a space for dissension, we should avoid that space as far as possible. <laughs> even if we disagree, even if we don't understand, even if it doesn't make sense, it makes sense to some people. Now, the reason some things make sense to some people that don't make sense to you is because people are wired differently. Like some people are wired to see everything logically. And they're not, they're, they're emotional, their emotional makeup does not enter into their philosophical component or their logical component. And they would see people who disagree with them as emotional, as irrational. It's just how they're made up. That's, you know, well, I don't want to say it's just how they're made up. It's, it's often how they've become, how life has made them. They were necessarily born that way. But so everything is like, it's just all about logic. This is it. It says it right here in this verse. So how could it, how could there be any other truth other than this? And if you're of a different temperament, you'll say, well, you know, Shastra's nuanced. There's many ways to see this. There are other verses that explain things slightly differently. And No, no, it's right here. This is the verse. If you don't agree with this, like, I can't even talk to you. This is so clear. Like, what's your problem? This is, this is Shastra. So that's a space for Maya, for you to argue with them. Because can you argue with a person who sees the world that way? Maybe you can if you know how, but I would say 99% of us don't know how and would just, would just create ill feelings and perhaps offenses. And I, I've seen this quite often when we're debating philosophy. Somebody gets agitated because they're very, you know, they see things in a very special way. And when they get agitated, they attack the person, like, 
Like, you don't understand this because you're like this. You know, then they attack them personally. This is why you don't understand, because the reason you don't understand this is you don't know the philosophy or you haven't lived in India long enough or you're, you're ultra-liberal or you've been contaminated by, you know, they have their whole analysis. I've seen it because I've been, <laughs> I've been on that side. <laughs> I've been told that. Actually, one <laughs> devotee told me, the reason you don't understand this is because you haven't spent time in India. And I said, I've been living here for six years. He's like, ooh. <laughs> he couldn't say anything. But that was his, you know, his world. You know, if you, if you don't spend time in India, you can't understand certain things. That may be true also, you know, that you learn by living in that culture. But but you get my point is that that sometimes if you have a certain nature or another person has a certain nature, when you go into a discussion, when they make arg arguments which they feel are are reasonable, taking into consideration other shlokas and other purports, the people who are very logical, when they see that as illogical, they attack you. Like, how come you can't understand what's wrong with you? You know, are you not chanting your rounds? Or you must not be chanting your rounds. This is so straightforward. So then we, we get into this offense-making uh, character assassination. That's a great space where Maya enters. I've seen it. Have you seen this before? Uh, yeah. So... Uh, it's not, it's something uh, Prabhupada is not pleased with. And then, then it, this is such, it's an interesting topic. Because then the question comes up, you have, you have two things going on. You have Siddhanta and you have unity. Are we willing to compromise unity for Siddhanta? And some devotees would say yes. Are we willing to create a schism if necessary, to maintain the sanctity of the real Siddhanta if, if leaders deviate from what others believe to be the Siddhanta? Are we willing to even risk offending them, uh, calling them ignorant, uh, saying they don't understand the philosophy and they're just, uh, destroying ISKCON Etc. Etc. So I've seen this also in in the name of Siddhanta. We have some devotees have done things which I think Prabhupada would have condemned. So this is a this is a sensitive issue, and someone will say, "Well, you know, you you risk delegitimizing Iskand by accepting this principle." And um, so the fight continues, and the and the fight continues and continues, and there's a schism, and there's factions, and there's offenses. In the name of being chased to Siddhanta, we, we've offended. We offend people. We create a schism, and that's that's another super space for Maya. That's I think that's one of her. One of her spaces she can easily enter because that becomes the consequence. Um, and the the logical people who who 
just like, this is it. This is what the Shastra says. And, you know, what's wrong with you? Why don't you accept it? We'll find their, well, their opponents will find them to be very unreasonable and illogical in their mind. So you have two parties thinking they're both illogical. Hare Krishna. Um, sometimes <laughs> I feel sorry for all you young devotees because, you know, we as senior devotees, we have to deal with all this kinds of stuff, and I don't know if we're going to solve it all that well. And when we leave, we we you know, you get to deal with it all. And maybe it's going to be more difficult without all of us here. Maybe easier, I don't know. I think more difficult. And you're going to have to deal with all the nectar. And we'll be dancing with Krishna. I feel sorry for you. You'll have to deal with it. But my request to you is uh, don't take Maya's bait when she puts it in front of you. Um, this is a big bait argument, disagreement. It's Kali Yuga. It's, it's such an easy bait for Maya to get us to bite into. And then uh, one thing you see happens is that discussions become uncivil. It's a strange phenomenon. If two devotees are, are, are discussing a philosophical point, they become uncivil because we know Trinadapi Sunichina is foundation is a foundational mantra for our japa, for for chanting the holy name, for our whole existence to achieve love of Krishna, you have to do this. And sometimes in in the heat of these disagreements, it's like we throw that verse away. Okay, forget that verse. Now, you know, just take out the punching put on I wanna put on my gloves, we'll you know, don't worry about that verse. That type of thing. So, we have to be careful. I think we talked about Maya's bait before, but I don't think I talked about this kind of bait. This bait has, this bait has, is, uh, is going to have very, 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 very bad consequences for the future of our movement. That we see in Gaudiamat that you know that so so many good things going for them, and that they bought the bait of disagreement, at least some of them, and then the others who dis who didn't want to take sides, a lot of them just left because they had no choice because these two factions are fighting and they and they saw this is wrong, so they they left and so now you have two factions fighting and then many other little temples who didn't want to take part of the faction and so that's how that's how this can end up so we have to be careful Trinata Pisunichina comes to our rescue if we could actually follow it and so I think you know one of the challenges uh, Ed Maya will try to enter here with some bait is to remain humble in spite of major disagreements, or remain humble in spite of the fact that you think someone is wrong, someone is illogical, someone is fanatical, someone is ultra-liberal, crazy liberal, you know, watering things down, or crazy conservative making Prabhupada something he never was or never should be or never he never would have been. 
and, and you know, emotions boil up in situations like that when we feel like so, uh, someone is making Prabhupada something he isn't. To remain humble, to remain tolerant in those situations, that's a challenge for sure, no question, for all of us, from the top all the way down to the bottom. So that's something to be aware of. Okay. I don't know if you had made any comments that I need to read. I didn't notice. different angles to come to the same conclusion, but there are different angles to come to different conclusions. Okay, we have some comments. So let me let me go up. I'm just going to go all the way to the top. So bear with me, and then this way, hopefully, I will not skip any comment. Am I feeling better? Better than five days ago, but not completely 100%, but I'm working all day, so that's good. I'm a little spaced out. You know, if your body is weak some, and you have to do something you don't like, it's hard. And there's a lot of things I have to do every day that are just... I, They're just tax my brain to no end. Just details. I don't like doing that. <laughs> when your body doesn't have energy, it's harder to do it. Isn't it? Harder to push through what you don't want to do. Maya is an illusionist, the best illusionist. We're going to have a lot of Maya t-shirts, huh, Krishnangi, after all these classes? Okay. So Krishna Karshani says, from what you are saying, there is high responsibility on senior devotees to not put into Maya, their followers by directly or indirectly turn them against other senior devotees who have a different view. Yeah, definitely. Like Krishna consciousness, yeah. That's, I think that's like the, you know, it's like I may disagree with another devotee, we discuss it and say, okay, I understand your point of view, but I don't, you know, I could, you know, accept some points, but I don't entirely agree. Okay, you know, that's, that's normal life, or that's normal life growing in Krishna consciousness. And even the acharyas sometimes have different views on it, and and it's possible both of our views are correct, both of our views are laudable. We're just we just don't think the other person really has understood it well. Okay, whatever. I respect you. Maybe I'm a fool. Maybe you're completely right. Maybe I'm completely wrong. That is possible. I could be wrong. I could not understand it completely. Could be possible you don't understand it completely. Okay, we leave it at that. This is my conviction from what I've studied, from what I've discussed, from what I've read. Okay, and that's it. I leave it at that. I try to teach Shastra in the best way I can to give the broadest understanding I can. But as Krishna Karshani says, if I publicly denounce an individual, that is Maya at her, I think that's Maya at her best, because that, that then aligns the followers of each side 
against one another. Now, I used to like you, but I heard that you're aligned with so-and-so. I don't like you anymore. Because <laughs> I think so-and-so is very... He's too conservative, or he's, you know... Yeah, childhood issues. It's all coming out now. You can see it all. You know, look at the way he talks. It's all, you know, his mother must have driven him crazy. Otherwise, why would he say these things? You know, you have all your reasons. And how could you not see that, that what he's saying is actually irrational? And that makes you irrational. I used to respect you. And I hadn't lost my, you know, it's like on and on and on. So these are, uh, we, any of us, whether we're leaders or not, we have a responsibility to be respectful to everyone. What to speak of publicly respectful. Now, if I disagree with a philosophy, at least I should acknowledge what the other side is saying and why they're saying. Just like there's a beautiful article. This came out 20 years ago or so. Cinnamon tea, good for the throat. Except the recordings are going to have recordings of me sipping tea. Hmm. I don't know. Okay, so 20, 30 years ago, the Ridvig issue came up, and it, it was a new thing that no one had ever considered, and it was a big thing. Because devotees were saying that actually no one should have initiated. That was like a shock wave. What do you mean no one should have initiated? And so they were presenting different arguments and presenting different problems in ISKCON that had developed as a result of incompetent or unqualified gurus. And their conclusion was that these people are not qualified to be groomed because if they were, they wouldn't have had these problems and therefore they went back and studied Prabhupada's words and said, according to us, it seems that actually Prabhupada never intended anyone to give initiation, only to initiate disciples on his behalf. Otherwise, why would all these people have difficulty and the future will be fraught with difficulty because none, none of us are qualified? So that was a shockwave. <laughs> And they wrote many things to point out how the deviations of the gurus or the attitudes of the gurus or the position those gurus take took, or some of not all, or some had caused problems. And simultaneously in ISKCON, many of the leaders in ISKCON who did support Diksha gurus, who did believe this is what Prabhupada wanted, although they couldn't support the Diksha gurus who deviated, they also saw those same deviations, and they also recognized those same problems. So the Ritviks were looking at problems that also many leaders in ISKCON were looking at, the, the same problems and agreeing. Those, their solutions were different, but they recognized the problems were caused because of unqualified gurus, or the problem was caused by putting too much emphasis on the Diksha guru, which kind of camouflaged Prabhupada's position, minimized Prabhupada's position, took him out of the center of ISKCON, put those 11 gurus in the center of ISKCON, or um, simultaneously minimized the power and relevance of other devotees who could give siksha, 
and act as six-year gurus but couldn't give diksha or decide, or didn't want to give diksha. Not that they couldn't. They didn't want to. Or at that point in ISKCON, they couldn't. They wouldn't. There weren't many diksha gurus being appointed or chosen, whatever word you want to use. Appointed, like, eh, it's not really the way it's supposed to be. But So let's just say chosen. So Jayadwaita Swami wrote an article. And I appreciated it so much. And the article... It was two parts, where the Ritviks are right and where, in his opinion, the Ritviks were wrong. So he acknowledged all the points that they made that were correct. And my first response to this was that usually when two parties argue, they never acknowledge the parts that they agree. I've seen debates with Ritviks and non-Ritviks, and I've never seen either party acknowledge where the other side is right. I've never seen them acknowledge what they agree on. And so when he wrote that article, I thought, this is responsible. This is mature. This is, what's the word? Necessary, perhaps, is the word I want to say. This is how, if you're going to debate an issue, present the other side. This is what they're saying. Present the other side that you agree with. This is right. We agree with this. This is where we believe they've deviated from what Prabhupada said. You know, so that's that's extremely valuable. And if you're going to present something publicly like that, you know, someone asks you a question, debate it, okay, well, this is what they say, which we agree with. This is what they say we don't, which we, we don't agree with. These are the reasons. And then you have to have a gentlemanly philosophical debate. When you start not to acknowledge what we both agree with or where they're right, and take the philosophical discussion into character assassination, then pretty much we've degraded to the mode of ignorance, and then everything in the mode of ignorance just dissolves. That's The nature of ignorance is destruction. And, and, and ultimately, well, one of the... We've been, we've been, um, I've been giving class to the Chinese every Saturday night. Of course, you can all attend if you like, because I don't speak Chinese, so you'll hear it in English. And we've been on the topic of detachment, and I've, I've been listing various ways that attachment and detachment show up, and some are more obvious and some are less obvious. And, and I said... One of the ways detachment shows up is that you have to be detached enough to listen to an argument that you don't agree with. You know, to, to be able to get the argument in there so you can consider it requires some detachment. Because sometimes you'll hear something and say, I don't believe this is wrong, this person is nutty, they should, you know, they should just like get, we should get tape and tape their mouth up. You know, you think all these horrible thoughts about them. And you can't hear what they're saying. And what they're saying, they may say something valuable, reasonable, or at least reasonable. Maybe you don't agree with it, but it's, it has, it's somewhat reasonable. And so it's a kind of detachment to, able, to be able to listen to another point of view you don't agree with, at least, to try, at least to understand it, and at least to be able to discuss it, and at least to see if there's value to it. And a lot of times, 
we don't have that detachment. Our mind is made up, and there's no discussion. This is just how it is. My mind's made up, and I can't listen. So it's a kind of detachment we need to be able to develop, to be able to hear. And so that's why I liked this article by Jayadweta Swami so much, because he heard... He didn't deny just because he didn't agree with the Ritvik conclusion. He didn't deny everything that led up to that conclusion. And I think from the Ritvik side, it would be hospitable of them to also do the same for us because we do agree on many things, but they tend to attack us because we agree with them. They say, oh, you're all just Ritviks. Anyway, you agree with us. Yeah, we agree, we do, on some points. But we don't agree that you can, you can make someone a Prabhupada disciple. You can give initiation on his behalf. We don't agree with that. Well, we agree with other things. So, you know, why create more disagreement than actually exists? So we have this tendency. This is, again, how Maya comes in, you know. So... Um, Maybe maybe I'm just saying we need to be ladies and gentlemen. Maybe that's it. Um, yes. But I will say it's it is challenging to listen to a side of an argument or a view that you disagree with, especially if, you have, if you're emotionally connected to it, you have strong feelings about it, it's really difficult to listen. But that's, where, that's another place where Maya comes in. I just, I cannot listen to what you say. I asked my wife, I said, I said, I know that in marriage there's certain things well, certain situations that couples will never agree on. They can't. It's just circumstance. the circumstances of, uh, of who they are and the situation they're in. They'll go through their whole life, and they'll never agree. And so there's no need to talk about it because they'll never agree. And I said, well, how do they resolve it? Because it's not resolvable. Yeah, he said they can't come to... There's not even a compromise. It's just, you know, it's like, I want to live in the city. You want to live in the country. I'll always want to live in the country. You'll always want to live in the city. I'll always love the country and glorify it. You'll always hate it and find fault with, with it. And I'll always find fault with the city. You'll always glorify the city. That's the reality. It's just like, you know, assuming, making the assumption will it's ingrained within us so deeply that we'll be that way our whole life. And so there's, you know, okay, we can make some compromise. We live, we'll live a half hour from the city in kind of the country, sort of, you know, there's, everybody has an acre of land or something. But the, the, the fundamental disagreement, it's not going to change no matter what compromise is made. But so I said, so how do you, you know, if it's always going to be a disagreement, how do you deal with it? And she said, one side has to give in. That's, that's, it's just a reality. They have to realize they're never going to come to an agreement so one just has to go, okay, we'll live in the city. So, and if one doesn't do that, they'll end up arguing about that and go nowhere the rest of their life or hate one another the rest of their life. So sometimes that 
is how we make peace within an organization, is how we keep the organization together. One side just says, okay, I surrender it. We'll do it your way because fighting about this is far more destructive. So I think, that, I think that's something to consider. You're all going to run into this. You'll have to run into this many times in your life. And hopefully you'll remember this class. It's cold in the UK. That's, that's no news. It's cold in Florida. It's news. Cold in the UK is not news. Shantarupa is saying, it's getting cold in the UK. Yeah, what else is new? Yeah, that's the constitutional position of the UK to be cold. <laughs> when we weep without knowing, our eyes are crying. Maya can't touch us. Love you, Krishna, is correct? Um, I didn't understand the question. When we weep without knowing, our eyes are crying. Maya, that Maya can't touch us. Love you, Krishna. Can you re-ask that question? I'm not exactly sure. You're asking, there's a certain state that you're in that Maya won't touch us, but I don't. Just, just write it down later in the comments, and then... Don't let Maya enter those spaces. Well, we, you know, we used, we used the, the bait, Maya's bait. She's always baiting. And I'm sure we all know well Maya's bait, and we've all re, we all re, have regretted taking the bait, uh, especially when you knew it was bait and you took it anyway. Prambhada. Ask, how do we know how Prabhupada wanted us to understand the philosophy if there are different understandings of it? Or is it okay for different understandings to exist? Then how do we understand it? That question is going to take me like 12 years to answer. Sometimes different understandings are just expansions of one understanding. Elaborations of it, broadening of it. And there's room for a lot of understandings within the circle of unity. And because we're on different levels of Krishna consciousness, our understanding could reflect that. Because we're different people, our understanding will reflect that. For example, I don't know if they still do this in Vrindavan, but when I was last in Vrindavan, every evening at 5 o'clock they had Bhagavad Gita class. And they would do one verse a week. And Mother Parvati, who has since gone back to Godhead, when I asked her, why are you doing one verse for a week? She said... I've been doing this for years. And we've never had a class which was similar. Every speaker has a different angle. So different angles are, all, are not necessarily different 
versions of the same Siddhanta. And one thing we find if you stay in Krishna consciousness long enough, you will find there's very little controversy. There's not that many things that you will go to one temple and hear one class and then another temple hear another class and, and they're all different. If, if you're hearing something different, generally it's just a different angle, a different realization, a different, a different part of that truth being elaborated on and so forth. But if you know anything about anything, that's kind of a strange statement. If you know anything about religious history, then it's inevitable that there will be some things which become highly controversial. And what I know about religious history is that many of the religious organizations try to keep peace within that controversy to allow for differing opinions so they don't break up, they don't create schisms. So there's a few things in that occasionally come up where you might hear someone say one thing and someone say slightly something slightly different. So your question is, how do we know the way Prabhupada wanted us to understand it? In your life as a devotee, it's going to be very rare that there's any major controversy that you'll have to deal with. And if there is, then I would say, if you want to go there, if you even want to get your mind into it, because you may not have to, it may have no relevance. You know, let's say we're talking about the female Diksha Guru issue. So let's say, let's say you are not looking for a guru, so it's not really that relevant to you. Or you're looking for a guru, but you're thinking, no, I, w I wouldn't want a female guru. I would, I just, I'd rather have a male guru. Okay, so that issue is, has no relevance to you. So you might think, well, why put my mind around it? Because it just doesn't matter. Or you might think, this is an interesting philosophical idea. Why would some say... They can initiate, why would some say they couldn't? And you want to understand it and broaden your horizons and perspectives. I think if you did that being uh, not emotionally involved, I think you, would, you could understand why there's controversy because there's Shastric statements which, which seem to indicate that they can do it. There's Shastric statements which seem to indicate they can't do it unless they're completely transcendental to the three modes of nature. Now, after you read everything, one of those sides may make more sense to you because you are who you are. If you can walk out of that, even, even if your guru said, I don't think women should be gurus, and after you read all the arguments, you said, well, according to me, it seems like Prabhupada wanted it. And it's just how you think, and you don't want to disagree with your guru, but it's just, it's just, it's just, it just makes sense to me that, that this is what he wanted from what I read. And then your guru explains why he doesn't see it that way, and you, he's like, okay, I understand that. But still, as strange as this sounds, it may not make sense to you. But you've understood both sides. It, it, it ultimately doesn't matter now, because the leaders of the movement will decide how to go forward in the future. And unless 
you're a leader who has to decide on this. Your study of the issue is more for your own edification. And so I would approach it, and let me understand both sides. What we were told by Prabhupada long ago was that sometimes acharyas disagree, which was kind of a shock to us to hear that as young devotees. Sometimes they disagree. And it, it could be due to their realization. It could be due to their rasa. It could be so many things. And then Prabhupada said, but one thing that would be an offense would be to take side with one because if you take side with one, then you're taking sides against the other, and that would be an offense. So the injunction was, if, if Vaishnavas disagree, don't take sides. So I think that's very, very important. So let's say I present a certain idea, you know, women should initiate, and then your Guru Maharaj says women shouldn't initiate, and we both give the reasons. And you think, well, my Guru Maharaj says no, Mahatma Prabhu says yes, so he must be ignorant. And how could he even be a guru, actually, because he doesn't even know this? And then your whole mind starts going, right? And then you've taken the bait. And that's why Shastra says, don't take sides where there's an argument. One, one thing also that I think is... Is, is, worthy, is worth at least contemplating is that, that Krishna is not three-dimensional, neither is our philosophy. So there's dimensions that can open up for different ideas. Now, Srila Bhakti Siddhanta was criticized for some of his innovations. Did you know that? Move over, then you can see Prabhupada better. He was criticized for some of his innovations. The problem was, some of the criticism came from his own disciples. So even on the level of these vastly learned scholars who his disciples were, the nature of philosophy and the nature of Kali Yuga, when you blend them together in the pot, what comes out? The aroma of disagreement. So I would just say that when you're studying different sides of an issue, just be careful. Despite what makes sense to you, based on what you've heard, be careful not to offend the other side. You know, you're asking the question, how will I know what the proper understanding is? Well, 99% of the time you'll know because we all agree. And in the rare cases we there's some disagreement, Is you know, how will you know? Even the ones who are arguing don't agree. So how do we know either side is right? You know, And so we just have to say, okay, you're both right in your own way. And if you can see they're both right in their own way, because they're both sincere, they're both trying to understand. And it's just like we have one of the one of the issues which is a little volatile is the fall of the jiva. Where did the jiva fall from? Were they actually with Krishna? Did they fall from Krishna Loka? And many devotees cite Prabhupada giving evidence that yes, they did. 
and many devotees cite Shastric evidence and also things Prabhupada said to prove that they didn't. So, you, you're going to find this disagreement amongst learned devotees, learned scholars. So what are you going to do? You're, you're going to, you, you will accept it's one of those things in Shastra. And, and even Bhaktivinoda Thakur said this. He said, he said, don't try to understand it because you can't. And I remember when Prabhupada left, there was this huge confusion that we never had before. And we couldn't even imagine. It's so strange. We couldn't even imagine having this confusion. We didn't understand what Guru was because Prabhupada was a Guru. We didn't have to understand what Guru was. He was just, he, do, he, was, he was it. And we were his disciples and it worked. Everything he did was what the Guru does. But then the question was, well, what kind of Gurus are we? Because we're not liberated souls like Prabhupada. We're conditioned souls becoming purified, becoming liberated. Liberated because we're engaged in devotional service, but not yet entirely transcendental to the modes of nature. Not on the level of prema or even bhava yet for most disciples. So there was confusion. And some of Prabhupada's disciples went to one of Prabhupada's godbrothers and said, we're very confused. Can you make sense of this? And he said, there are certain things in Krishna consciousness which are achintya, and achintya means inconceivable. And he gave this example. He said, everyone thinks their father is the best father in the world, but objectively, that's not true. Even sometimes your father is not a good father, but because he's your father, you love him, and you still think he's the best father. And he said, you know, everyone will think their guru is the best, the most advanced, the most compassionate, the most kind, the most Krishna conscious, the smartest. He said, that's natural because they love him. But objectively, they all can't be the best, they all can't be the smartest. So he said, there's this, this inconceivable nature of not only guru, but of other things that creates these kinds of contradictions. So that's something to consider. That that it's it, it, there's kind of a there's kind of a built-in system that some things will be inconceivable and naturally will we will disagree, or we will see it differently. Oh, your guru Maharaj, he's nice, but my guru Maharaj, he's he's very special. Okay, yeah, that's you know naturally how you see it because he's your guru. Some people think, although, you know, the guru has to be Indian. If he's not Indian, how can he be guru? And you could even find shlokas if you wanted to support that. And you could find shlokas that don't support it. Support that anyone who knows the science of Krishna can become guru. So there are certain aspects of our philosophy that start to get in this realm of inconceivable. You can't understand, and you debate it. And like when... Devotees were debating the fall of the jiva, and Prabhupada was answering. There were many letters you could read he was answering. And when you read those letters, you see that it, the letters don't seem so straightforward. 
It seems like the issue is more complicated than what we may have thought. Oh, I'm going to do something amazing. I am going to actually put on heat. Can you believe it? We're going to heat up the room. Have a heat festival. Okay, let's do it. Here comes the heat. And I'm going to... I have slippers. Let me put my slippers on. Because I have to stay warm. Otherwise, I'm not going to recover properly. So, and then recently I had read, and Bhakti said, uh, Bhakti Thakur said, well, this fall of the jiva, it's inconceivable. You can't really understand it. And that's what Prabhupada said. It's like, okay. So, we're debating it. Many devotees are debating it. Many devotees have written papers for and against whether we fell from the spiritual world or we fell from um, some other position. And in those letters, Prabhupada said, you know, don't waste time trying to understand it. You won't really understand it fully and it doesn't matter. So it seemed Prabhupada was okay with a certain kind of reality like you won't understand this and it doesn't matter. Now you might say some things do matter and that's true. But some things don't and some things are inconceivable. And if you study ISKCON and ISKCON's approach to to understanding the Guru, it's actually gone through various changes, but the philosophy has never changed. But in trying to understand it and mature and work through um, also practi the practical realities within ISKCON, our understanding has grown. And so, you know, when Prabhupada's godbrother said it's a chintya, I can testify that it's been it's been an ongoing understanding and there's still disagreement. Now in ISKCON, there is some disagreement about how one becomes an official Diksha Guru in ISKCON, how that should go. And some people say that the GBC should not be involved because it's the disciple who decides if who the guru is, not a body of people. And the body will say, no, Prabhupada wanted us to make sure that the people who initiate are qualified. So, you know, it's still ongoing, achintya, and, you know, there's always... So I think some things by nature may, even if the GBC says, this is the Siddhanta, as they did with, the, they came out with a book about the fall of the jiva, and they said the jiva has come, has been with Krishna and Krishna Loka, and that's where they fell from. But so many devotees said, no, that's not true, we don't accept it. So, even the GBC will come out with a statement, some things are just, they're such that they're, they're very deep, and they can be understood deeply in different ways. So I don't know if that answered your question, but I think I think maybe it's a relief to know that we don't have to understand everything, especially if it's a chintya. We can just be happy that I don't understand it, and when I need to understand it, uh, I will, or I can accept the understanding of the senior devotees that I respect. Now you're going to ask, did we fall from Krishna Loka? Or did we fall from Brahman or Mahatattva? 
It is, and my answer is, Prabhu, it's a chintya. You'll never understand it properly. Don't bother your brain with it. Sebastian says, Greetings from Chile. We're finally uploading your job affirmations audiobook in Spanish. Da -da -da -da. Thank you. All of the Spanish devotees. Honorata, distribute that to the Spanish world. Fantastic. Well, they finished it. They read the job affirmations book. I haven't even read it in English. And I should, right? It's on my no time to do list. I should, I should do it. It would be a good exercise to read that book. I asked a disciple to read it, and they thought, no, I should, I should read it. It's my book. That's true. I will read it. I should read all my books. Get it on audio. Krishna Karshani says, Iskand's motto is unity and diversity. Gurmaraj, do you think that it's possible for Iskand to put this motto to live 100%. It seems that from the high, I mean devotees, and it seems that from the high, I mean senior devotees, to the bottom, we're so different. We see Krishna consciousness in a different way. We offer understand Srila Prabhupada uh, through us in a completely different way. Sometimes I think this motto is a kind of utopia. No, I'll explain the motto. What you explained is actually what Prabhupada explained. He said, he said it, it's, he said the utopia is to think we would all be the same and that's how we would, we would come to agree because we're all the same. He said the reality is we're all different. So that's where Prabhupada started with the the diversity. So this is just a reality. Four varnas, four ashrams, and a, a million nuances of personality type and nature and conditioning. So that's where Prabhupada started. He said, we're all, we're all different, and you can celebrate the, the diversity because this is what makes this kind of great, is that we're different. And one of my god sisters, Mandakini Devi Dasi, she said, she said it nicely. She said, we celebrate diversity as long as the diversity doesn't hamper the unity. So, Prabhupada's vision of unity and diversity was the unity was Krishna. Okay, I'm different, you're different, but we're all serving Krishna from different perspectives. And so, the agreement is that Krishna is the Supreme Personality of Godhead and Krishna should be served and pleased. And so... If I can please him, you can please him, she can please him, he can please him, the children can please him, the mothers can please him, sannyasis can please him, and we all do it in different ways. That creates the, the unity. And the unity doesn't mean necessarily that I have to agree with you, but at least that what you're doing is laudable, it's acceptable. You're serving Krishna. You're trying to please Krishna. What you're doing is proper. Like, well, let's say the female Diksha Guru. Let's say the GBC ultimately decided it's better, you know, because, because it seems the Shastra is not 100% clear or there's, you know, a lot of devotees who seriously doubt. 
and that we think um, we shouldn't do it. It doesn't mean that women can't preach. It doesn't mean they can't accept six-year disciples. So, okay, that's, the unity continues in that we're all serving Krishna. There are diverse opinions. We couldn't agree on everything, but at least we agree that we should all serve Krishna. And one side will make a compromise. Or if they compromise the other side, let them do it. Then those opposed to it will say, okay, well, we'll have to see. And if it doesn't work, then we'll point it out and we'll show them. We said, we told you. And now you've seen it. It's not working. This is against Shastra and it's created problems and so forth. So, the, you know, because Prabhupada said unity and diversity, then it's up to us to understand what he meant by it, and it's up to us to understand, and, and, and it's up to us to apply it as best we can. And one of the ways I see the statement is it's a lot about respect, respecting others' sincerity and desire to serve, even if you know they want to do it differently than you or they see it differently than you. I mean, the fact is, and you know this, you study psychology, because we're all different, we see the world in very specific ways. And sometimes when a person sees the world in a way you don't, you know, your first reaction is, how could they see the world that way? That's so wrong. But if you step back and think, well, obviously they're different from me and they have a different nature and the way they see the world is aligned with who they are. And it's the way they see the world, just to them, it makes total sense. This is, this is how the world is. And they don't see it the way you see it. And the way you see it doesn't make sense to them. So for unity and diversity to be there, we have to have that much respect for the vision of other people. This is their understanding. This is how they see it. I don't see it that way myself. But if you see it that way, I can understand why you would see it that way. And you still want to please Krishna with that understanding? Okay. That's the unity. I think... The, the maybe the impossibility would be once a decision is made and one side has to compromise for the other side just to stop talking about it, <laughs> stop complaining about it. That's going to be hard. It's getting hot in here. I think. That's the, that's the big challenge to to have that detachment that okay this is how it is and I'm just going to accept it like that that's that's hard but we have to do it um, so we're not looking in we're not looking in terms of unity necessarily of of agreement I think it's more in terms of respect okay this is the way you want to do it I respect it you know I was thinking. Uh, there's an argument that a lot of the preachers are watering things down and, or compromising for preaching or even compromising standards in their own life. That argument is there. Um, made by more conservative people. And I often think, well, maybe there's truth to that, but 
from my experience in preaching in the West, it, it doesn't seem to be true. And the only way, ultimately, I would know is if those conservative preachers came with their conservative agendas, agendas to the West and didn't preach to Indians, but preached to, if they came to America, preached to Americans. And we would see how they would succeed. And maybe we would learn something we didn't know. Maybe they would go to very conservative parts of America and the people would really like them because they're very conservative. Traditional values of family and no compromise. This, maybe they would really appreciate it. Or maybe they would uh, not be successful there and then they would go to New York, more liberal, and maybe the liberal people would just get angry when they heard that. And um, We don't know you know, so that would be really powerful, educational for both parties. And if they were successful, we could say, okay, I appreciate what you're doing. I appreciate that there's people who, who need conservative agendas, who relate to that, who feel vitalized by it. And this is good that you've done that. I didn't know that. I, and now I know. So at least... You can be open to that. But I think in, in probably what you're thinking, Krishna Karshan, you say, you know, I could understand there would be conservative people who would like that, but I also understand that there'll be liberal people who wouldn't like it, so why don't we make room for both, and that would be unity and diversity. And I think that's true. You have Krishna West, why not Krishna East? Maybe an ultra-conservative Hare Krishna movement is also necessary in some parts of the world or for some people. I don't know, I can't say. But if someone can show that, then dandavats to you. You showed me something I didn't think was, I didn't know was needed in ISKCON to that degree. So that's the idea, we respect respect the individual and their vision. Um, sometimes you've heard, Krishna Karshani, maybe many of you have heard, that someone who has a more conservative viewpoint, criticizing the viewpoints of those with more liberal viewpoints, and vice versa, the liberal can, you know, this is why this is not going to work, because it's too conservative and society is different, and, you know. The other side is, no, no, you're watering it down. You know, give the pure thing. We don't care if it doesn't work. Just give the pure and, and people will come for the pure thing and then Islam will stay strong. The problem, again, is bringing it out in the public. Hanging dirty laundry. So let's say, like, I have a liberal agenda and I present my liberal agenda. I said, this is how I'm preaching. Because I find that if I do A, B, and C, um, people relate more to Krishna consciousness. Or if I teach them how to be better in their marriage, they build faith in me, and then I can teach them how to be better human beings, then I can uh, begin to introduce Krishna consciousness. And I say, look at, I have hundreds of people who have become devotees. You know, what can you say? You could say, well, I would never do it that way myself. And... And I would say it's because we're different. That's why you wouldn't do it this way. But 
it's laudable what I've done and what you're doing is also laudable, at least if you can produce results. And because we're different, we'll do it differently. And so if we fight over the differences, that's where Maya, that's the space where Maya comes in. Because why can't two preaching methods both be right? According to the country or the situation or the people, you know, how you preach in India doesn't always work in America, how you preach in America. It doesn't work in India. That's that's just common sense, obviously. I remember, you know, I was in India and I'd see gurus chastise people in the audience, just say, you're all, you know, rotten grihastas, you know, just attached, materially attached, and you, you know, this and that. And the people, they appreciated it. And I, and I would laugh, I'd go, boy, if you said that in America, they'd be throwing eggs at you. So... I think we have to appreciate, you know, the unity is that we're both trying to preach, and we may do it in different ways. And and so if if I'm publicly saying, you know, this is how I preach, and this is how I find it works, but I haven't condemned any other preaching method, then that's keeping unity and diversity. But if I'm condemning other preaching methods, it's not unity and diversity. Now I'm denying, I'm denying you your intelligence. You know, a lot of times I see preachers are criticized, and I think they're sincere devotees, and they're trying to preach according to time, place, and circumstance in the best way they believe they can, and also according to their nature. And so to criticize them is really to demean them, that they have no intelligence, they have no sensitivity, they have no insight, which is not true. So I think we have to be careful about that. And as you know or may know that sometimes these things are aired publicly and it's not healthy for our movement. You may have your own views. And so you say, this is how I'm preaching. This is the success, success we're finding. We're doing it this way. More people are coming or people are appreciating. For example, Krishna West has been criticized a lot. But I can say from my own personal experience that lots of people are coming to Krishna consciousness who wouldn't come in a more traditional setting. And even for devotees, a lot of devotees are, are inspired doing that kind of preaching that weren't inspired by the other. And you can say, well, there's something wrong with those people. I wouldn't say there's something wrong. I would just say that's just that's how they are. And that's also a necessary part of the diversity. That's my understanding. So it's, you know, requires some detachment on our part. What Kirti is asking, what constitutes an offense? For example, if some Vaishnavi wants to be called Prabhu instead of Mother, and I do not do it because that's what Prabhupada says in his books, and there's not, yeah, well, uh, do, 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 not such a thing in the Vedic culture. Am I offending her? Yeah, you are. Uh, let me tell you a story, Kirti. You know the story, many of you know the story about Prabhupada taking the name Prabhupada because before Prabhupada he was Swamiji. I don't know why they called him Swamiji. Swamiji! And so the story is, Gorsundar, the wife of Govinda Dasi, said, can I call Govinda Dasi 
Govinda Ji. And Prabhupada said, Ji is third class. And so Govinda Das, he says, well, we call you Swamiji. Why are we using a third class name? And Prabhupada, you know, said something like, you know, don't bother. No, no, you know, it's, it's third class. Can we call you something else? And he said, yeah, you can call me Guru Maharaj, Guru Dev, Srila Prabhupada. He said, you know, Srila Prabhupada is the best. And I said, well, what does Prabhupada mean? He said, well, Prabhupada means where all the Prabhus take shelter at the feet. All the Prabhus take shelter at the feet of this person. So he's called Prabhupada. And he said, you are all Prabhus. And so you all take shelter of me, so I'm Prabhupada, giving you shelter. You are all Prabhus. Govinda Prabhu, Malati Prabhu, Jamuna Prabhu, and so forth. So in those days, in those days, the women were called Prabhu. And that's why you see nowadays, some women say, look at Prabhupada call me Prabhu. And the mother is nice, but some women feel that it's it actually becomes like a derogatory term. You're Prabhu, you're mother. So mother's over here, Prabhu's here. Prabhu's first in line, mother's second in line. Mother's in the back of the bus, Prabhu's in the front of the bus. You know. So that's why you get that. So I would say if a woman wants to be called mother and you call her Prabhu, not nice. She wants to be called Prabhu and you call her mother. She may not like that, so out of respect for her, uh, don't upset her. Kirti, if you haven't learned not to upset a woman by your age, then you've been wearing blinders. Don't do anything to upset a woman. You'll regret it. Believe me. If you have to call her Prabhu, it's not a big deal. If she's happy. Better woman's happy. That's all I can say. <laughs> You know, most men figure that out after they've been married like 20 years. Slow learners. Yeah. So. Yeah, mother, mother is, you know, respectful. But, you know, when you tell Americans to call a woman a mother, it can, you know, I know a devotee used to spit on his mother. So, you know. Mother. Who knows, you know, the, what the women are feeling when the guy says mother. You know, <laughs> sometimes you could see the man is like he's super sexually agitated and then he calls you mother and you're like, it's, so you know he doesn't see you as mother. So sometimes it disturbs women, some women, not all. Tanya says, I always remember your statement that problems start when Kirtan stops. Yeah, that's a t-shirt, right? We're supposed to do a t-shirt like that, right, Krishangi? All problems start, stop when the kirtan starts. All problems start when the kirtan stops. Sri the Prophet says in his purport, Bhagavad Gita 15.20, that devotional service and Krishna are one and the same. When we are engaged. Whoa, I just lost it. Da -dun -da -dun. I lost it. There's a lot of comments here. I've been talking too much. I should talk less. 
I don't have so many comments left. When we are engaged in devotional service and helping others engage in it, all problems, quarrels, philosophical differences magically disappear. I feel it's always our best bet. And I recently had a very vivid insight into this. We organize a very sweet play about Krishna and Govardhan. The Govardhan, the thief, something, for Janmasmi, and engage two devotees who don't see it eye to eye, to put it mildly, to play the main roles. In no time, they were giggling together, <laughs> getting along so well. You would think they're the rest of friends. Um, did I tell you the statement I read by this? This is a famous Christian author and speaker. What's his name? It's a purpose-driven church, purpose-driven life. His name escapes me now. He said, he said, even though we don't see eye to eye, we can walk hand to hand. We can still walk hand to hand. So I've been reading a little bit about this topic because this topic really concerns me because it's, it's, it's a real challenge and it's common. It's a common problem. And so what ha and I'm glad you brought this up because this points out the problem. It's that the, uh, and do you remember how I started this class? I was saying when you disagree, you tend to attack the person. Like, what's wrong with you? You don't agree with me. You have to be crazy, you know. Every sane person in the world would agree with me. And, and, and if you don't, that definitely proves you're something wrong with you. How could you not agree with me? I'm the most logical, intelligent, philosophically astute person that has ever walked the planet. And therefore, if you don't agree with me, that definitely proves you're a dumbbell. First class dumbbell, bozo. You know, okay, I'm exaggerating, being funny, but you understand the idea. So there's, it's been studied and observed, there's this tendency when you disagree with someone to destroy the relationship with that person. Because because you think all these things, like, what's wrong with him? I wouldn't, I don't even want to be near you that you think this way. And... There's devotees I disagree with about certain things, and I understand why I disagree with it, because we're from different cultures, maybe different ages also. But I see they're really nice devotees, and they're really nice people, and I always, I always think it's important to try to be able to appreciate them as people distinct from their views, because what we tend to do is bring their views into their personality, and then we don't like them, and then we, we could lose the opportunity to have a uh, favorable association with them and learn from them and so forth. So this is extremely important. So that's why I like that. You know, we, can, we may not see eye to eye, but we can still walk hand to hand. I think that's very important. And that's the point you just brought up. Like, yeah, I don't know. We can't stress this point. You can't stress this enough. This is... This is really, 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 really very, 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 very important to remember. This is a huge space where Maya, where Maya will come in. If you disagree with someone, you'll start offending them, putting them down, disliking them. And Maya's thinking, yeah, this is good. Let's just keep this up. We can destroy Iskand this way. So... Nadia says, my Guru Maharaj says, says no. Mahatmada says, yes. That happens a lot to me, at least. Her, uh, 
<laughs> I don't take sides, but I do get a little afraid of the situation. I understand both opinions are worth, but I feel more inclined to one of these. I get afraid in these cases, but what to do? You know, I've seen many devotees disagree with their own Gurmarsh, it happens to me. That doesn't affect my affection. Yeah. There's a whole other question we don't have time to answer. I tell something to Nadi and she said, oh, that makes sense, but my Guru said the opposite. One thing I would say as a general statement that might help with this is that when was the last time your guru, you spoke to your Guru Maharaj and explained your situation? And when was the last time you spoke to your Siksha Guru and explained the situation? And that might explain why you might get some different difference of opinion, a different discussion, because... The Siksha Guru knows what's going on in your life. And also because they're different and they have different views, sometimes you may have to analyze and say, in my situation, I think if I do what my Diksha Guru says, um, if I don't do what he says, it would be a total disaster. Or in this situation, I can see my Diksha Guru, I can't tell him, I can't explain the situation. And I think if I do what he wants me to do, it's going to be a total disaster. So it's not that... A disciple doesn't use their intelligence. I often think, and this is a very general statement, but I often think that one of, one of the jobs that Prabhupada had was to give us intelligence how to make decisions. And sometimes, this is going to sound strange, and if that Hanuman guy gets a hold of this in Croatia, he's going to put it up and, and throw darts at me. But I'll say it anyway, because imagine you're in a situation and you're, oh, 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 let's tell the story. There's a man coming to see Srila Prabhupada, an important man, early in the movement. So Prabhupada has a servant outside and, and just a new boy or something says, don't let anybody come up. And what did he mean? Um, Prabhupada meant he doesn't want anybody to come up other than this man, so when the man comes... There won't be anybody there. But apparently it wasn't explained or whatever. So what happened when the man come, came? The boy said, nobody can come to see Prabhupada. And he said, you know, the man probably said, but we have an appointment. And No, no, my guru said nobody. So you think your guru said nobody should come and see him, which he did. But now you have to use your intelligence and say, oh, wait a minute. This, I, I, I should let this man come. Even though Prabhupada said don't, this is different. So... And Prabhupada, of course, was upset when he didn't let the man come up. I think Prabhupada may have come down and found out what was going on. So, you know, there's this voice in my mind where Prabhupada says to me, why didn't you do this? And I say, because Prabhupada, you said not to do it. And he says, but this situation was different. Or by not doing this, it created such a problem. Didn't you have the intelligence to, to be able to judge by time and circumstance? So I think that's an important consideration because we don't we don't want to turn all members of ISKCON into blind robots and you know be 
be like bona fide cult. I have to turn you into a bona fide cult member. So all you can do is follow my instruction. You can't think. That's not the objective of the guru, to turn you into a robot. It's, his objective is to get you to think and how to apply according to time, place, and circumstance. So there's always this voice in me where I hear, prop, you know, when, when there's a decision to be made, that, you know, I'm trying to figure out what to do, and I know, well, Prabhupada said this, but it seems like in this situation, if we did that, that would create problems. And, and if I don't do what I think is best in this situation, then I hear this little voice, Prabhupada saying, why didn't you do that? The thing that I didn't do because Prabhupada said do the other. Like, for example, um, Black Lives Matter obviously has become a big issue. And there are some things that Prabhupada has said about black people that could jeopardize our movement in Africa. And so now there's discussion with African BBT about redacting those statements from the books, something that the English BBT would never do. They would never take something out. They might explain it. Well, he said this in this context, and this is what it means, and so forth, but they would never take it out. This is Prabhupada's words. And some African countries are saying, if you don't take this out, and the government finds out, we could, they could shut down our movement. So Prabhupada said, you know, don't change my, change my books. And now you have to make a decision. And if you don't change the books there, it could be. Let's say, hypothetically, if we don't change the books, we would eventually be shut down in all of Africa. And, you know, the word would spread from one African country to another. And, and then, you know, obviously Prabhupada would say, why didn't you take it out of the books? And I said, well, you said don't change the books. It's like, you know, that's a Bhakta Burfi moment. No, use your intelligence. So sometimes there may be cases where by, quote-unquote, disobeying your spiritual master, you're actually obeying him more. And I think in Nadia's case, for example, your spiritual master wants you to be inspired, he wants you to be happy, etc. So you follow your Siksha guru sometimes because you feel like this, this is, would be the best thing for my Krishna consciousness. And you told him, he would, he would obviously say, okay, fantastic, fine, you know. I don't think he would disagree. Uh, we may never take sides externally, but we usually take sides internally. How to make it not offensive? Yeah, just I think I answered that question. I don't agree with you, but I, uh, I, tr I understand why you think this way. I don't agree with it. But I understand that, you know, this is, this is who you are. You're like ultra-liberal, you're ultra-conservative. I already knew you would think this way just by knowing who you are. And I still like you as a person. I respect you. It's just not the way I understand it, the way I would do it. Um, I'm open to be convinced another way, but so far I, don't, I haven't seen it that way. But it's not that important to, you know, that it would destroy our relationship. That that's where the problem comes in. We allow it to destroy our relationships. We allow it to destroy our unity, and that that is just immaturity, I think. Uh, Nadi says, whenever that discussion starts, I just remember I don't want to understand why I fell from the boat in the sea. I just want to take the lifesaver. Yeah, that's fine. If you're happy with that, that's all you need to know. 
Um, so Ajayani Tai says, are all gurus pure devotees or just devotees, for example? Ambrish Marsh was more elevated than Durvasa. Durvasa wasn't a devotee. Yeah, um, Prabhupada has defined pure devotees in different ways. And uh, one whose sole purpose is to please Prabhupada and is engaged 24-7 in his service is a pure devotee. And all his gurus are pure devotees. Can a pure devotee fall? Yeah, can they make a mistake? It's possible. There are people, you know, sometimes Prabhupada did something and it didn't work. I said, okay, we learned. Do it, let's do it differently. That's possible. Prabhupada said, the guru is not the super soul. Prabhupada was on the bus in New York, taking the bus, going around New York, studying the people. He didn't know about the people. He had to study them. Uh, Nadi says, there are people that think their guru is the best. Wow. Aren't they all the same level? At least some. Any difference? No, they're not all necessarily on the same level. But just... But, you know, they're all glorious. You know, like sometimes you'll have a guru who will help you in a certain area. So your, your Diksha guru says, go learn from this guru. He's, he'll teach you rasa, some high topics of rasa tattvasa. You'll learn from him. Or I have a disciple who wants to take sannyasa. Well, you have to go to the sannyasi, take sannyasa. I can't give it to you. Though it is true that one guru might have more advancement than the other, but bona fide gurus aren't them all on the same platform. Yeah, there's another platform. Yeah, they're all representing the same Siddhanta. You, you know, there's a... If you're looking for a guru and you're looking for the most advanced, it's not, it's not actually the criterion, necessarily. You're looking for the most compatible. And there are other criteria also. And how will you know who's the most advanced anyway? You're looking for the person who helps you the most. That's <coughs> as I've said more, I've said before, when the question is who's the most important guru, the answer is the one who helps you the most. That's the most important guru. How could it be otherwise? Talking about fake gurus and bona fide gurus, maybe that's the only way to say bona fide guru is better than a fake guru. Well, I can see a guru is better than other. All gurus are. There are no fake gurus. Only, if he's fake, he's not a guru. I've seen some very advanced gurus, but the disciples aren't advanced enough to take advantage of them. They don't understand them. So you might say, well, the more advanced they are, the better. Okay. Let's say Srila Prabhupada says, this God-brother is more advanced than I am, and, and Prabhupada has said things about certain God-brothers. Do you think that would be the best guru for you? Maybe he's so advanced you can't even understand what he's saying. Maybe so advanced that he can't come to your level. It's possible. So, you know... The best guru is the one who helps you the most. I know people will disagree. No, only seek out the most advanced devotee according to who? 
How about seek out the devotee that inspires you the most, that helps you the most, that inspires you to surrender to Krishna the most? Then for you, that's the most advanced devotee. Or that's the best guru. I think what you're saying is right about the conservative gurus and the liberal gurus and all of the different kinds of gurus being available to help different groups of people. Because if Krishna is... The unifying factor, that is how we would achieve world peace. If everybody was in love with God, it would have just changed everything. For me, I feel hammered, and you did it how we can all take our unique perceptions and skills to make God happy, because God is the totality of everything and has justification over everything. Uh, ironically, it's religion that causes the greatest dissension. Hare Krishna. So we have to get this straight. We have to be able to work this. Anurana says, I love this class. It's a reminder to remain unified. Yeah, it's not easy. Mother is teacher, yes. As a Krishna West guy, I've taken class with wonderful Mataji devotees who introduced me to Mahatma Das, Devi, Bhagavati, help me. Coming from Catholic background, I've had questions about the role and treatment of women in religious life. Thank you for this teaching and discussion. Yeah, I think this discussion is eternal. Um, position of women is such a interesting topic but you know I don't personally I don't feel like it's a topic that it's it's a topic that we should spend a lot of time on but if women are not respected properly we have to spend time on it to help you know heal some wounds but I think from Prabhupada's perspective, it's not, you know, he would want us to have a healthy society and not, you know, meditate on should women do this and do that, but just meditate on Krishna. If I would live, if I would live with Mataji's, how could I organize activities in a way we can follow a good sanada and live with peace and understanding each other? I have friends, Mataji's, who are single, same age of me, about 45 years old, and would like to live together and preach. Um, how would you live together with a group of women? You have to make sure all their needs are met, or all the needs that you can meet. You know, they have their space, their privacy. And I would say for, for any group, having facility to be open is very important, not feeling unnecessarily pressured. Um, you know, showing a lot of... Wherever you have devotees and, and someone in charge who is very affectionate and concerned, you always have happy devotees. So I would say... Affection and concern is very important, and especially important for women. That's just a brief 
I don't know. Much more could be said. I appreciate all devotees, but I became attracted more to the devotee liberal or conservative that does not criticize the other side. Yeah. This was so helpful of a class, actually. They always are, but this felt very important. Yeah. Okay, so we can end now. That was just, um, yeah. We didn't read anything today because that, that was a topic which is on my mind. And sometimes these topics are on my mind because of what I'm reading. And sometimes, um, due to my services, I have to read different ideas from different points of view because we're discussing different points of view. So I kind of get in the middle of these things and I... Because I'm a bit of a psychologist, I'm not just looking at the philosophy. I'm looking at how people are interacting. Because that's just how I see things. And this is really, really important to consider that when we disagree, we don't destroy relationships. And that's... We don't attack one another. We don't become offensive to one another. And that's... It's hard, actually. I've seen it. Even with very cultured, gentle devotees, I see that they don't say it, but you can feel it that they're frustrated with what the other party is saying and they, they feel that the other party is unreasonable or even foolish. And I um, have to be careful. Respect all devotees. We're all different. We're going to see the world differently. Just, you know, we have to accept that. It's a reality. Some will say we fell from Vaikuntha. Some will say we won't. Some will say Krishna West is the... God's blessing and the future of ISKCON. Some will say it's a curse. Some will say ultra-conservatism is the only way we can be um, chased to Prabhupada. Some will say it will destroy ISKCON. I mean, these are realities. Some are saying um, female Diksha Gurus in the West is, gonna, is going to maximize the preaching in, in many new ways. Uh, some are saying it will totally destroy ISKCON. It will make ISKCON non-Vedic because they allowed women to initiate. I mean, this is like, there are more controversies than you have the editing of Prophet's books, how much should be edited, what could be edited, etc. You know, and these controversies aren't going to stop. We're not going to like resolve them all. Um, what I've seen as a devotee over the years is some things that were never controversial, all of a sudden they become controversial. And I think this was never a controversy and someone's making it a controversy. And they're finding a shloka here and a shloka there and all of a sudden they're building a controversy and they're getting a following and pretty soon all of a sudden something that was just accepted as, of course it's like this, is being questioned. So don't think that's going to stop. And all I would request you is detach yourself enough to, to listen to the other side and what they're saying and try to understand it, uh, although it's difficult because we already have our minds made up, which is why we can't open them. But we have to be better than that. We can't just be like everyone else. And don't attack them because they don't agree with you. That's really immature. You know, you're an idiot. Why? Because you don't agree with me. Like, you know, is that... That's not what Prabhupada taught us to cultivate. He told us to cultivate humility. You know, I, this is my understanding. I may be fooled. Maybe I'm wrong. This is how I understand it. I appreciate you understand different, differently. It doesn't resonate with me. You know, but I'm open to be corrected. I'll keep studying it. That, that's, that's the proper attitude. Okay? So this is important, important for all of us. 
Thank you very much. And if you want to join us for Japa, you're all invited. We're, uh, we're I think we're up to 38 devotees the last Japa session, so it's getting really nice. And um, Hare Krishna, Srila Prabhupada Ki Jai, all glories to Srila Prabhupada.